if someone's a, a certain lived a certain lifestyle or did a certain thing, I think you may be more quick to judge them. But if that was like your brother or your sister or somebody like or your child, you probably wouldn't be that harsh on them. And, and that that's my point is like, look at people like, you know, it's the human family. We need to stop being so hard on everybody. I think that's the biggest thing I would tell. It's like, we need to start showing some love. I don't care if you do have a different lifestyle. I don't care if you do do things differently. Maybe we could learn from each other. Like, I feel like we all got a piece of this puzzle and let's bring it together. Like, why can't we, why can't we agree to disagree? Hello, and welcome to Danley and Friends. I'm your host, Ryan Danley. On this podcast, I seek to spread joy by connecting you with my friends and other people who are doing positive things in their community and in the world at large. I also seek to spread connection through encouraging open dialogue, having difficult conversations, and exploring new ideas and concepts. In this episode, I've got my boy Mark Nathaniel Skelton with me. Nate is my sans, which means that we crossed or were initiated into the fraternity together. Which fraternity, you ask? Cap Alpha Psi. I hear it's the greatest but I could be a little biased. Because of this very legitimate and legal process with no bodily harm or wooden paddles or canes involved, we share a special bond (laughs) together. I've always admired this dude's willingness to learn and his willingness to share his knowledge with others. And that's what he wanted to do. Nate has been studying psychology for quite some time, and he wants to share his knowledge and remove the stigma around mental health especially in the black community. Nate is full of energy and full of knowledge and love, and I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. Enjoy. All right. right. We're live. I got my man Mark Nathaniel Skelton with me. I knew you was Nate when we joined the best fraternity in the world, KSI. You know what I'm saying? But uh, for those best people, line, the best hey, line, too. best hey, of both worlds. You know what I mean? <laughs> best of both worlds. <laughs> so, um, you know, for those Love who don't it. know you and don't know, you know, the greatest line to come through the greatest fraternity of all time, right on, right on. <laughs> who is Mark Nathaniel Skelter? If you had to give your elevator pitch. You know, um, I guess it just all depends on where you start. Um, definitely, I mean, believer. You know, we're keeping it real. I'm a believer. Um, identify as a black male. I'm a husband. You know what I'm saying? I'm a father. I'm a student. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. Bro, I'm like all these things. Just, you know what I mean? I'm just trying to live the American dream. And uh, one way I'm doing that right now, I think, is through uh, the field of psychology. You know what I mean? So... I'm, you know, I'm ambitious. Um, it's got some drives. I mean, I got love for everybody. You know, actually, my 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 pitch for why I do what I do when it comes to um, psychology and even uh, sharing information on, you know, Udemy, YouTube, all that type of stuff is, I love psychology. I love people. Boom, and I put it together. So that's that's that's, that's that's it, bro. That's that's that sums it up in a nutshell, basically. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Heck, you said you're a student, and I think that one stands out to me because. You've always been someone who's been interested in learning and, uh, you know, curious. Yeah. You know, you always wanted to been, know what's going, going on. School, been going to school since kindergarten, bro. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> it, right. Never, it, never <laughs> it never stops. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so talk to me about that journey a little bit, man, because you have been in school for you know a little while doing different things. Um, right. And you've been learning and using those things to give back. So, you know, I know you went through uh, theological school for a little bit. And then right on. You, you went to the uh, the psychology program and everything like that. So. You know, how did you how did you get there and how did you decide that that was the route that you wanted to take? Yeah. So, I mean, um, <clears throat> my dad, I got to talk about him. the late, great Dr. John D. Skelton Jr., you know, uh, R.I.P., man. R.I.P., man. So uh, he was he was a chemist. OK, so, you know, he had, he had a doctor in chemistry and that's always been something that in, inspired me. Right. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny, like. I remember being my kid's age now. I was I was my kid's age when he was going through his doctorate program. So it's kind of funny how things repeat itself. So basically I start, you know, I always kind of wanted to go to school. Um, I don't know if I could get it any other way. You know, you got to get it how you live. So I'm just, I'm a, I'm a student of life. I like learning. And so uh, I, I started off wanting to do, to do chemistry, 
But uh, I got into an internship and was like, nah, you know, I, I, this isn't for me, right? You, you got to do what you got to do what works for you. I think when you get into something that you love and are passionate about, it's not even about studying anymore. You know what I mean? Like when I switched from chemistry to psychology, because I knew I wanted to help people and empower. I'm curious about how the mind works and the brain, all that, all those inner workings and how it manifests between people and in communities and all that good stuff. So I, I switched there and kind of just took off from there. Um Took me a little while to get that bachelor's, you know, on them victory lab, but it's all good. You know, I feel like as long as you get it done. And then from there, um, I went into a master's program in, uh, at a Christian theological seminary in Indianapolis. And, um, I wasn't there necessarily for like the divinity track or anything like that. It was more so for the idea of incorporating spirituality into, uh, your practice, you know what I mean, when you're working with clients. Because I know uh, one of the statistics, especially within the African-American community as well, is, you know, we're spiritual people. The church has kind of been one of the um, strongholds for us throughout our, our time in the nation. And so, you know, it's just, it's just all work together. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the ministry. Um, so all those I would like, I guess, career-wise too, I'd like to maybe tie those together somehow. So I, I'm still on the journey right now. Um, Lord bless me with getting a doctor program in clinical psychology out here in uh, Kansas City. So that's kind of, I'm in the first year of that and I'm enjoying it a lot, man. That's what's up, man. So, does that does that answer? I know I can, uh, I can get on my soapbox. So no, just, no, no, that's, that's, that's very me. helpful. Um, uh-huh. you know, I'm curious, what is it about psychology um, that so, has so much of a draw for you? You know, when you think about, you know, the inner workings of the human mind, you said those, you know, that's something that uh, interests you. You thought, you know, you mentioned people in general or something that interests you. You know, what is it about people and the way that they think that draws you to it? I mean, the word that keeps coming to me is um, empowerment, man. I just, I love to see people doing good. I love to um, pull people out of some, you know, the miry, miry pits and, and, you know, plant them on their feet get the best that you can out of life. And I think sometimes that is uh, more so like in the psychological plane. I, I see a lot of suffering that people go through that sometimes isn't necessary. If you kind of get your mind, I feel like if you get your mind together, then all the other things fall in place. And it's also a field that is very uh, vast too. Like, um, uh, I guess what I mean by that is it's a challenge. There's a lot of unknowns in it as well, but there's also enough uh, for you to use some of the tools that they have. You can, like, I feel like I can add to some of the body of research. I can take some of what I'm learning and uh, communicate it to people in a way to help fix maybe some of the problems that they have going on. Because we all, we all, you know, we're all in the biggest room. That's the room of improvement. And I think yeah. we all can uh, do a little better in life, you know? So I think that that's kind of what it is. Like, if I can give a little bit something in this life, I, I think that's it. Like, taking this information and trying to help people. You know, let's definitely talk into you know, the history of it a little bit, the background of it a little bit. Because I know, uh, especially in the Black community, uh, mental health has a a huge stigma around it. And even just like, you know, some of the treatments back in the day, it kind of seems like, you know, (laughs) you you had this disorder and they'd be like, ah, let's cut half your brain out. Or, you know, Mm. here's a dildo and some cocaine. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it just seemed like it it was such wacky things that they would do back in the day that I think put a scar on, you know, mental health for for quite some time. So. I'm curious if you can shed any light on kind of what you've learned about the history of psychology. Yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, take them to church, the the Genesis, right? Hey, hey, (laughs) listen, I was thinking about that and I wanted to start off by asking you a question. And that is, um, where do you think psychology started? Like what country? Or where do you believe it began? You know, that's... That's a deep question. Uh, yeah. I, I think when people became, you know, first became self-aware, wherever the hell that was. So probably somewhere <laughs> like in the Middle East or like, okay, you know what okay, I mean? Okay, or, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, actually, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. I guess when you talk about it as a formal discipline, it started in Germany. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this okay. is what, that's what I'm saying. This is what I'm learning. I thought this would be so interesting to share with people because I think when you kind of understand the genesis of something or how something began, you can kind of understand where, where you're at now. So uh, honestly, basically, it, it was like back in 1879 when it became a, an official uh, discipline and a branch of knowledge. And it actually came from uh, a marriage between philosophy and physiology. 
Okay. So um, I think, and this is another piece I like to add is that like a lot of people um, start with like Greek philosophy, but when you, when you do your research, a lot of Greek philosophy has African origins, such as the, the term know thyself, right? Um, 15, uh, 1550 BC, uh, if you look into it, uh, the Egyptians um, were doing like brain surgeries, medical procedures, and there's actually a document called the Ebers and Edwin Smith Papyrus. So I just want to, I say that to say, because I think it's important to myself as an African-American um, and an advocate in mental health is that we have a place in history, right? And that a lot of it doesn't just start uh, um, in, in Europe. And that's something I'm, I'm about to share now. Um, but nonetheless, physiology is more like the functions of living organisms and philosophy. So those came together. Um, this uh, pioneering man by the name of William Wundt. So he was a uh, he was a German, and he had a uh, a lab in, in Leipzig, Germany, Leipzig, Germany, uh, Germany. And so basically, it was influenced by um, a lot of Europe. You could say European heterosexual males, right? more so maybe upper class. And it was more so about experimental, like how, like structural psychology, meaning how does the mind work? What is consciousness, introspection? What are you feeling when this happens? So a lot of the work was basically lab, lab work, laboratory work. And it, it made its way. So basically Germany was the hub. Germany was the hotspot for psychology. And then it made its way over here through um, I think it got popularized by a gentleman by the name of Freud. If you, you've ever heard of him. Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so he's kind of like the one who's made it mainstream, kind of the poster boy of psychology through his stuff of psychoanalysis and the unconscious and dreams and all that stuff. So there's a lot of theories and theorists that come from more of a, a Eurocentric mentality, which I like to say is not bad in itself, right? That's not a bad thing. The thing is, I think what 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 becomes the problem is sometimes when you apply some of the research um, from that culture to other cultures. I think sometimes that's when you kind of get yourself in a little bit trouble because everybody is unique, and that's where a lot of the field is now is just cultural awareness and understanding that everybody has their own unique background and um, biology and ways of thinking. So kind of keep that in mind. So when you when so when this history uh, makes its way over here, I think some of the stigma kind of uh, there's baggage. There's certain baggage that comes with some of the history, and I think you spoke to some of them already. And one of them that people a lot know a lot about is like insane asylums, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know what I mean? Certain treatments like. People like there, it literally was kind of like zoos for people. Like you, you would go, they, they'd sell tickets for people at certain times to, to see the mentally ill. And then when you tie in uh, terms like moron, retard, imbecile, all these type of things, who wants to be connected and are associated with that? Like, I don't want to have an old mental illness because that means you're crazy, right? So these right. are these are misconceptions that kind of just come along with the trial and error of learning in the field, which isn't a bad thing. Like I said, I think the field has made tremendous progress, but these are things you got to keep in mind as to why there may be some stigmas within the field. Also, man, um, Charles Darwin, his cousin, Sir Francis, the so-called Sir Francis Dalton, he uh, is the one that came up with, he, you know, everybody, you know, to me, I don't want to make it a bashing. Everybody has some good and some bad to them, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of the good one of the goods he had was statistics and normalizing and standardizing. Um, psychology has its its foot in a lot of things. We're gonna kind of get get into that a little later. But basically, one thing he brought into the field was e eugenics. And I don't know if you're familiar with that term. A little bit, man. Uh, and in the context of like the Holocaust, so it doesn't necessarily have a a positive connotation. And yeah, then, uh, you kind of hear about it with Margaret Sanger um of Planned Parenthood and stuff a little bit as well so yeah yeah so basically it's kind of the idea of just genetically engineering people based on their race and putting the best genes together and and are sterilizing individuals that may be seen as imbeciles or incompetent a lot of this happened to 
some of the mentally ill, intellectual disabilities, even uh, African-American communities. So I think when you consider all that, along with misdiagnosing, Tuskegee experiments, all these certain things, we're naturally, the brain's doing what it's supposed to do. It kind of like, it wants to survive. So it, it tends to kind of stay away from things that have that connotation to them. And ironically, like eugenics still happens in some, it's still on like court books in some places in America. And so that's just a wild thought to think about. But when you think about that, along with like lack of representation in the field, um, you know, am I going to get a client that, that are a provider that looks like me, thinks like me? I think those are things you start talking about pricing. Also, um, even to that point, the the first woman to get a doctorate in psychology was uh, Margaret Washburn, and that was about 1894. And the first African-American, Francis Sumner, actually got his dissertation. I think you, um, here it is. So he did psychoanalysis of Freud and Adler, and he happened to be a new. So, you know, I got to plug that in there. Hey. Uh, yeah, so, but when you think about it, there was a lot of discrimination um, towards uh, races and genders early on. So I think, taken together, you can kind of see why sometimes there can be a stigma associated with mental health. Yeah, I, I definitely mm -hmm. think so. And I see what you're saying. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that, hey, like, you know, we're all people. So it, it should apply equally across, you know, people. But when you think about cultures, I mean, even think about different neighborhoods, different mm -hmm. neighborhoods have different norms. Um, it's, it's funny. I was out in my yard yeah. and there's a car driving down the street and I just waved to the guy because that's what people typically do in my neighborhood. Right. He, he stopped because he thought that I was Tyler's house. And he was like, why will you wave to me? Like, I was right. on my way to Tyler's house. You waved to me. And gotcha. so I was like, oh, it's just like people just do that. So it's just like even little norms like that from neighborhood to neighborhood and things like that are different. So imagine, you know, whole people. Right. So I'm so glad you brought that up. So then there's a topic of like IQ testing. Like I said, early on, we're talking about like the turn of the centuries when a lot of this was more prevalent. And um, the IQ test sometimes had biases and there's a lot of controversies. And uh, there's a really good, if you wanna have a good listening experience for yourself or anybody that's listening, there's a radio lab podcast called the G series and it kind of goes over the history of intelligence testing. And actually, um, I don't know if you knew this, but intelligence testing is, banned in California for African-American students in school. And that's one of the reasons why is because the biases that are in there. And so it's almost like comparing apples and oranges, right? Like you can't say that an orange is dumb because it's not red, right? It's, it's an orange and that yeah. it's doing what it does. So you can't compare the standards of an apple to an orange and vice versa. And I think sometimes that's what's happening um, because most of the, and like I said, get it how you live. Most of the theorists, most of the theories come from more of a, a European mindset because they were the ones in the fields doing the research. So that that makes sense. But when sometimes when you take those normalizations from maybe middle class individuals and, and apply them to the minority population, sometimes you kind of you kind of get into a sticky situation. Yeah. And so that that happened a lot way back when. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to me because um, I never know how to feel about it because uh, you know, you want proper standards being applied. I mean, you see even with like in medicine, um, you know, black people present different skin rashes and things differently. And so there should be yeah. you know, different ways that you should be treated. But what seems to creep in sometimes in situations like in California is what I call like the racism of low expectations. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, like, you know, these people can't do it because they're black, you know what I mean? Or they're not as smart because right. they're black. It's just like, yes. let's figure out what the right scale is. And is it based on race even, or is it based on region of the country? Is it based on, you know, what is it actually, what should it be based mm -hmm. on? How should we normalize uh, this data? Yes, and that's that's one of the reasons why uh, they they have a lot of like more multicultural training and competencies that uh, mental health providers are more so expected and required in some senses to, learn from and engage in and learn, you know, get CEUs from so that they can bring it back to the counseling room. Also, uh, that's why I also encourage African-Americans and diverse populations to get in the field because everybody needs help. And sometimes 
Um, it's the rapport that you have with your counselor, or your therapist, or your mental health provider that really is the catalyst to change for uh, certain clients and patients. That's true, man. I, I could definitely see that. Um, you know, being able to relate to someone who understands right. your struggles, who understands where you come from. Um, you know, like it's interesting because you know if we study the electronics use habits of kids in the United States, it probably makes sense. If we study the electronics use habits of tribes in the Amazon and compare that to people in the United States, right, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Exactly. So you, you need someone who relates to where you come from, who understands what day-to-day life is for you, and perhaps how that can influence your thinking and your perception. You know, at least from a you know, you're never going to have complete overlap, but at least from a majority standpoint, it, it'd be helpful, right. It, you know? Exactly. Like you know, what I, I don't know my theology. Like we're kind of in a fallen world in a sense. So like everything's not going to be perfect. And I think thinking that way is just unrealistic. Let's like, let's be reasonable here. But I, I do think that it's, um, I, I like what you said, like, let's not use certain things as a crutch. That's one thing I really uh, just, I don't know if it's just me, my nature, my, the way I was raised, but like, I don't, I, I don't, I would never say use one of your shortcomings as a crutch. Like maybe it's a learning experience. Um, go get help, go, Hey, no excuses, right? Is that is that that's one of the things that we kind of learned in our process? Like, no excuses. Um, there's help out here, and maybe this is a good time to kind of maybe talk about today. You know, what I mean, what what has uh, psychology grown into today? And it's such a it's such a big field. Once again, I said that earlier. Like, I guess I'm focusing more on mental health. So, psychology is a discipline, and mental health is kind of sprung out of that. And when I say like mental health, um. I'm talking about um, conditioning, conditions regarding psychological and, and emotional well-being. And my professor in my master's program made it super plain. Psycho- you know, mental health therapy, all that is just producing change. That's basically what it is. You're having a problem and you're going to get help in order to f- help with that anxiety, help with that depression, help with that trauma. Just anything that uh, this, these loops or these patterns that you may be in that's, that's unsuccessful, right? Like that's, it's going in and getting help in those areas. So like, what's a, what's a way then for people to identify that? Because I know like with all the shootings and things that happen, people are like, oh, you know, we need some mental health, you know, work or, you know, things like that. We need mental health change in the United States. And I think it's something that people say, but they don't know what they mean by that. Like, they're just like, oh yeah, people are out here doing stuff that doesn't seem to make logical sense. Therefore they need some help. But it's like, how do we identify who those people are? How can people self-identify? You know what I mean? How, how do I know when I'm having a dysfunction? Okay, man, you know, man, that's a really, really good question. Um, I'll lean on some of the expertise of uh, the DSM-5. I don't know if you were familiar with that. It's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It is like uh, the Bible of the mental health providers in the sense that when someone says they have ADHD, and you know, this is a good conversation, Danley, because what, what we're going to talk about a little bit is some of the pop culture definitions. That's yeah. kind of what I'm getting through. There's a pop culture definition, and then there's a clinical definition. And those are two different things. Like, for instance, antisocial, what do you think that means? And like, this isn't, this is just more so like, not to put you on the spot, but just yeah, yeah. Just want to see where you're at. Yeah, for sure. So when I think of just like the word antisocial as it's used generally, it's just kind of like you don't like hanging out with people. You know, you just kind of keep to yourself. See, and that's that's what. So one of the things I think one of the roles, especially within our community, is like educating a little bit. Antisocial. And I, I understand why you, you say that. I've said that. But from the clinical definition, antisocial is more like uh, <laughs> the guy that's like uh, robbing, stealing. That's antisocial behavior. Crime breaking. You see what I'm saying? Like against what, society. Against society. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's pro-social things. That's more anti-social. Yep. And so kind of what you're referring to more so is like, it's more being introverted. Or like isolation. You, know? Isola- you see what yeah, I'm saying? So yeah. that's, so sometimes it's, you know, making sure that everybody's on, on, on the same page on what kind of what the experts are saying, right? That's huge. Like we got to agree on the same definitions, you know, before we talk. It's my green, your green. Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Perfect perfect point. So like, so so, so what you're saying is how do I know that it's um, to the point where I need to go seek some help? I'll use, I think I'll use, I'll use depression. And there's a, there's a, a, a rule of thumb more so from the clinical definition. I think, I don't, do I have... Might have the DSM in here somewhere, but 
either way, basically it's it's when it becomes, I think this is the, the determining factor, is when it becomes to the point where it's affecting your daily life, right? So everybody gets sad every once in a while. You know, it's normal when someone passes that you're, you're going to have some grief and some loss, right? It's normal if you, you had a little breakup, you're going to be hurting a little bit, right? That's normal. But when it starts gets to the point where it's affecting your daily life, like you can't go to work like you used to. It's affecting how you're studying at school. People are starting to ask, are you all right? Like your friends and family noticing that you're kind of drawing back, losing interest in things that you used to used to do. That's when it becomes significant. And that's the time when it's probably best to go get help because you want to you want to prevent a problem from becoming an emergency. You, you see? And what's a good place to start? Because, you know, say... You know, it's starting to affect my life. You know, the first couple of days, I'm like, oh, man, like, I can't go to work. Like, this sucks. Like, you know, <laughs> do I immediately go to a psychologist or do I go to, like, you know, a peer support specialist or do I go just watch some videos on the Internet? You know what I mean? Like, where's a good place mm. for people to... I, you know, I'm a YouTube junkie, man. I always check, research a little bit yourself. I'm all about, like, um, self-agency, you know. Get, get, get the knowledge for yourself so at least you'll... You'll know what you're talking about if you seek help. But I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about navigating mental health, dude. Like, it's its own thing. You have psychiatrists, you have psychologists, you have therapists, you have social workers. Like, who am I supposed to go to? You know, um, there's individual counseling, there's marriage, there's family, there's all, all these different things. Like, how do you know what to go to, right? right. Yeah. So, so, like, honestly, um, maybe I can, like sparse those out a little bit and then we can kind of talk about because you so who, do you, great. who yeah. do you go who do you go to see so like a psychiatrist I've, I've found it from myself working in this field that there seems to be this like jumbling of everybody together which is it what could be any further from the truth so kind of a hierarchy is like they're psychiatrists they're the guys that you go guys and females right that you go to see to get medicine right? Their training is through medical school and they have an MD. So if you're like, and I think it's really important to tell people, uh, <laughs> parents, especially like the, the first option shouldn't be medicine because your, your kid is, isn't acting good. I think sometimes you just need some good discipline and some good reward, right? Like a pill's not going to help someone like, uh, be obedient. That's right. a very, you get what I'm saying? But, but there are moments where, there's like ADHD. I know you've heard of that mm -hmm. attention deficit. So basically they'll, their prescriptions and, and I know some people are like, no, I don't, I don't want to do medicine. I, I really think there's a time and a place for medicine. Right. And typically the medicines help with like neurotransmitters and certain blockers in the brain that can kind of help chill you out a little bit. And there's, that has its proper place. And a lot of the research and literature tells you that when you do medicine, you probably sh should combine it with talk therapy or other avenues as well. So th that, that makes sense. Like the psychiatrist is more so the medicine guy and the one who's, who's gone to medical school, right? Yep. Then you have your psychologist, okay? Now, this is what I'm going to school for right now. And there's different, different levels to that too, like forensic psychology, meaning you're in the courtroom. There's the school psychologist who does, and remember I said uh, psychology has its hand in a lot of things. Did you know like ACT testing, GRE testing, all that, that's that's from psychologists. Okay. Aptitude tests. Yeah. So all yeah. these things, that's tied in with psychology. You're, you're testing, you're assessing someone and comparing it to a norm of other people. That's, that's basically psychology. So it's an education realm and maybe they'll do testing to see where you're at with your intelligence. I'm interested in, in neuropsychology. So that's more so the brain, maybe helping people that um, had strokes, you know, or just, you know, things along those lines, uh, Alzheimer's disease. That's what I'm interested in going into. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the first year of my program. I haven't specialized in anything, but that's what I'm interested in. So psychologists, their determining factor is they, they need to get a doctorate degree and you can, you can get one in research or you can get one in more clinical practice, which is kind of like splitting the hairs here. But the biggest thing is what sets them apart is testing. I want people to understand that. So when you need a test, personality test, IQ test, all these type of things, that's where the psychologist comes in. That's where their training and education comes from. And then 
there are therapists and that's what I've done for a, a number of years before I went into this program. And that is more so when you're thinking, uh, man, I, I need to go talk to somebody like right now, like each, now each one of these professions can do talk, but the, the therapist, the psychotherapist more so specializes in the room, the one-on-one -on -one conversation. And that's more of a, a master's degree. And what basically a psychologist can't prescribe medicine, therapists cannot prescribe medicines. Usually psychiatrists don't do testing like a psychologist. That's like everybody has their own strengths. And so there's therapists. And even in that, there's individual therapy. That's how I was trained. There's couples therapy. Each one's trained differently. There's marriage and family therapy as well. You have group therapy, you have substance abuse, all these things. They're kind of more so headed up and manned by um, a, a psychotherapist that has a master's level training. Okay. And, and, and uh, you want to kind of detach that from, so that's professional psychology. I know there's life coaches and I'm, like I said, I'm not going to knock them either, but they're not necessarily what you would call a mental health provider because what sets mental health providers apart is their licensure, licensures that they need and the kind of the professionalism and the confidentiality that they have to hold to, which is on a whole different level. Like you can't, which, you know, maybe, maybe this is going to talk about, I think there are times when it's, well, hold on. Look, well, let me stop there. Did you have any questions? Did that all make sense or? No, no, it's pretty clear. Like, it seems like they each have like kind of their uh, disciplines within the discipline where they can like kind of work with each other. Like, Hey, we'll send you to, you know, you, you go to a, uh, a therapist, you talk to them and like, ah, oh, you know, maybe let's get you tested for ADHD. And then they yeah. maybe send you to a psychologist to do that testing. And it's yes. like, oh yeah, you have ADHD. Let's send you to a psychiatrist and get you something, you know, for it. Yeah. But wise. then, but then sometimes it helps to see a perfect, you summed it up, but sometimes you need to see a, a therapist while you're doing that. Maybe you need family therapy. And even when you go to a psychologist, I think it's important that they give a battery of tests. Right. That yep. means that means not just one test. Oh, you have like they'll give you a number of tests that test this this certain symptom that you're having. Right. And then they they meet with people like if you're having problems in school, let's meet with the teacher. What's the parent saying? You put all these together for a clinical report to help better flesh out what's going on. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's so cool. so. Yeah, but you know, so psych, um, psychologists also they can do talk therapy as well, but it just it just all depends on what you special what you want to specialize in. Okay, right. mm -hmm. and then so I think that I wanted to share that for people that may be interested in a career in the field, like there's licensures, there's testing that you have to do, and those who are interested in maybe getting help. So I think one of the best places to start is uh, Psychology Today. That's a good resource. And that's where you can go and see people that are listed that are, you can see their credentials. You can see who's a therapist. You can see who's a doctor and you can see their profiles and see what they specialize in. Everybody specializes in something. And that's probably who you want to connect with. Okay. okay. And, and I think some payment options typically are like insurance. Usually you use your insurance through that or some people have sliding scales where that means uh, maybe you don't have enough to afford it. So they'll work with you based on your income. And that's what you know, I was going to ask, because it yeah. seems like uh, for most people, if they don't have a insurance or, you know, like a good insurance, um, it's, <laughs> it's expensive, you know, and what are some of those ways that people can mitigate that? So, you know, you said sliding scales, which, you know, is that something that people can ask for or just say, hey, do you offer a sliding scale? Yes, yes. Okay. I would always say sometimes even on the profile, they'll they'll let you know if they offer it and um like i said you, you could just work with with who you and then also there's there's a lot of community centers community organizations um and i think that's a good way to maybe get your foot in the door to begin working with someone and, and you know that's more of like a out of out of pocket like even the school that i went to um and well you know butler butler like you know hey. christian theological you know christian theological seminary and butler are kind of together now yeah yeah yep. yeah but cts had their own they had their own clinic on site where people from the community could go and get help at a reduced rate. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. So, you, you know, there's, you know, there, there's isn't necessarily a directory where all these are listed, but I, I would encourage like to utilize the internet, talk to your friends, you know, get some help. And also that, you know, this is the point where also mental health is so much more than just 
you know, eating right. That's mental health. Exercising, yeah. getting the sleep that you need, social support, like what we're doing, talking, your friends, your family. There's there's certain societies, like I think me talked about that, like collectivistic societies. These are communities of people that are that tend to be more family oriented. Like, you know, family, people, friends, family, social things, these are things that can help you avoid depression and all these certain things that you're dealing with. So sometimes you got a church, your church community, all these things, whatever you may be involved in can help with your mental health. So I, I've got a, uh, what might be an interesting question for you. Okay. Um, Cause I know, you know, you're big on faith and you're big on mental okay. health. Okay. I know within certain communities, I mean, I don't really like to generalize, but right. let's generalize <laughs> okay. um, in, in rural communities, you know, okay. and also I think the black community um, also, I think, um, certain immigrant communities, right. uh, religion is huge. And yes. so it becomes, hey, let's go talk to the pastor or, you know, not even talk to the pastor. Hey, you need to, you know, follow this book and stop doing what you're doing. Stop sinning. You know, at what point does that conversation become mm. toxic and how can you help people mitigate um, what might be seen as a religious problem that's actually a mental health problem? Mm, great question. I'm prepared for that one. It's so, it's so beautiful how you roll in that. I, I think, you know, some of the history, you know how we talked about in the past. I think I, I want some of the religious community to hear this part. I, I found it very interesting that talk therapy, as we know it today, really, in a sense, we can say originated within the church with the Emmanuel Healing Church movement. And this happened in Boston. I learned about this, this block where um, I believe a, a pastor who actually was a psychologist, um, they, they did basically what you understand therapy today, like talking one-on-one, -on -one, doing groups. It was like around the turn of the 19, 1900s, early 1900s when this movement took off. And it actually kind of paved the way for Freud and his talk psychology to kind of come on the scene. So I want people to know that a lot of this talk therapy began with the church culture. So that's just a good piece. And also, I always say this. It's so funny how we do say it. Like you said, uh, this book says this. But the book in Proverbs says, go seek counseling all the time. So you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes I think it's just a misunderstanding. I think sometimes it could be the lack of diversity in the field, too, as well. But I think it's very important for people, like you said, when, when should you do that? I think it's very important for you to seek professional psychology. So remember how I talked about life coaching and then the more so the licensure. The licensure piece, what that does for you, it, it, it means you're working with someone who has an ethics board that oversees their work and makes sure that they're, they're remaining ethical, okay? And so what that means is you're due confidentiality. So there, you know, there's it's one thing, me and you chopping it up, you know, but there's no confidentiality with that. If you're talking to, uh, you know, a, a minister or a friend, that's how sometimes information gets out on the street and you kind of get aired out. Yeah. See, you see what I'm saying? Like, and sometimes it's it's too messy. Even there's rules. Like for me, um, I cannot work with, some, like, I can't give therapy to my wife or my children or my brother because that's a dual relationship. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so, so sometimes it's good. And I think this is one of the best things about, Psych, uh, therapy, professional psychology, is you can go somewhere. This is, it's professional, you're paying for it. It's a business. And you have a place where you can let your hair down, right? You yeah. can talk to someone. Because some, like, I was thinking about it too. Like, there are times when you can work on your car. You know, maybe you can change the oil filter here and there. But, you know, maybe change the tire. But then there are times when you need to go to a mechanic and get some professional help. Yeah. You, would you agree? And I think that's the same thing for mental health. I think there are little maintenance things that we can keep up, but then there comes a point in time where you might have to seek a professional. So that's another thing that you add, because when you get into dual relationships with your minister or maybe someone at the church, you, you know, there's always that idea of someone knowing something about you, which kind of creates a power dynamic that sometimes can get unhealthy and toxic. So yep. I think one way to avoid that altogether is to go see someone who doesn't know anybody else around you. They cannot talk. Like for me, I can't say a name, an age, or anybody of anybody I'm working with. So you have that, that reassurance that my information stays here. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing to have. And I think it also goes back to earlier when we were talking about finding a provider with, you know, some of those cultural overlaps. So maybe yes. you do find, find a provider with a strong faith and, you know, you're able to talk to this person. Yes. You know, so 
Um, I, I think that goes back to like, hey, like, you know, find someone that matches, you know, you and what you need, your needs. Dude, yeah. So, man, I was thinking about that, too, because that's that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about therapy is you find someone just to your point that you're saying that you can match with. Even with within theories, there's different ones. There's people who work more from like a cognitive behavioral approach. That means challenging irrational thoughts, then more homework based. Like I need homework to do to take home and work with on the with the therapist and do workbooks and manuals. That's what you need to match up with. Also, there's people that, you know, I'm more like psychoanalytic, like changing your personality structures, going in your history, what happened, how are these patterns repeating, all these type of things. So th- that that's that's its own theory that that the uh, practitioner uses and, and they bring their worldview in there as well. So the thing, the best thing is to maybe connect with someone, like you said, that you can jive with and that you, you know, that you guys are on the same page with, so you can work through some of your deeper problems and you can feel comfortable about it. Because one of the, what the researchers are saying is that, um, I read this thing where there's this pyramid, right? And up top, if you see just a little capstone of that is the technique that the person's using. But the biggest thing to, to change is the rapport and the therapeutic alliance that you have with your provider. So it's very important for you to connect with someone that you can feel comfortable with. You can you can build trusting relationship with and work through some of because you're we're talking about some usually when people go to therapy, they're talking about some sensitive things, right? So let's let's talk about that actually. Okay, man. okay. Let's okay. talk about that because <laughs> for like, sure. how can you navigate that as someone that's seeking the proper person? Because I imagine it's like dating. Like the first one is probably it, it, not gonna be it. Like it's probably not. Like you know, just based on odds. So I'm going to this person. You know, I want to test them out, but at the same time, I don't feel comfortable. You know, spilling everything yet. You know, how do I navigate mm, quote unquote dating to find the right provider? Dating is a really, really good analogy because, in a sense, that's kind of what it is. Now you gotta you gotta be practical too because I think me and you talked about it a little bit. It depends on you know what insurance you have. Sometimes you have to go with, some people have work that provides uh, certain people in within a network. So sometimes if it's in your network, you know, that's who you got to go with. Yeah. If you're paying out of pocket, it, you have probably more liberties. But I think it's it's very important because even for instance, right now, and, I, and I'm stressing, I, I know I said this before, did you know right now um, within there's 5%, basically 5% of um, active psychologists are African-Americans. Wow. Wow. 5%. Dang. So like, put another way, I learned this in my statistics class. That means you got a basically 95% chance of not getting a black psychologist yeah, when you go man. see one. So I, I, I keep pressing, we need to get in the field because we have a lot of trauma, hurt, pain, things that we're dealing with that sometimes it's only... Um, you know, maybe someone that you can relate to because there's a lot of language barriers and cultural things that um, that you could probably connect more with with a, a therapist or a provider that looks like you. Not to take away from someone who's of the majority population. And I, I actually share a story with you. Like, so for for me, I I grew up, and I've always said it's like I grew up like therapy was like a nah, we don't do that. <laughs> like I said, I never like it wasn't like my dad pulled down like. Some overhead things like we don't do therapy. You know it's just, it's just so, you know what I mean. It was just a yeah. vibe. You kind of get like you don't do therapy. Crazy people go to therapy, right? For, right. for my for my and honestly, it's not like think about. It, it's like I don't know where I got that from. Maybe that's just social. I think it's a cultural thing, man. It's, it's same same way. You know, say you. you know what I'm saying so. Yeah. Like, but but when I got into the master's program, a, a really 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 good thing that they did for us was you cannot give anybody therapy unless you're getting it right now too. So I had to, I had like 27 years of just stuff bottled up. And I'm like, I mean, I guess I got to do this because I want to get this degree. And, you know, there's always that idea, like, it might be cool. So I end up connecting with, and I would say maybe, you know, an older white lady, right? Yeah. Caucasian lady. I had, dude, it was a blessing. Just like I said, there's, there's, it doesn't have to be someone of your culture too. I think that I'm glad you asked that question because sometimes it's based on the, I didn't have the funds. I'm a graduate student. Um, uh, money. <laughs> you know right, you got to eat, dude. I got to eat. I got a family. So <laughs> that was the best. That's the best thing that worked out, and it worked out well. I just, it was a great experience. Like 
I learned a lot about me, some of my inner workings, maybe the major things that are stressing me out. So I think this is another thing too. I think men in particular, whatever culture you're from, it's not a sign of weakness. I think that's another thing that I hear is like, it's a sign of weakness if you go seek help. You know, um, yeah. one lady, one, one um, client that I worked with, Said, said something that was really profound when I just, you know, I checked in. I was like, so how do you think therapy's going? Sometimes you're, you're hoping for a groundbreaking thing to happen. And all they said was, no, I, I look at therapy more like the gym. You know what I'm saying? I, I just go to stay fit mentally, bounce ideas off of, work through things, and just to have it in, as a protective factor for you. So you can, you can look at it in that sense, too. It doesn't have to be that you have, you're dealing with some big major problem or issue. You know, and even like a disclosure, when I moved out here to Kansas City, um, I, let's think about this. I just moved, just had a baby, my father passed. You know what I'm saying? Like one of the first things I did from my experience in my master's program was seek out the psychological counseling services that they had on, on, on campus. And I talked to them. They helped me through my first semester, basically. And so, it, and it's not even a, a matter of, oh, I think I'm crazy or there's something wrong. It was just like, there's a lot of significant changes right here. And it's good to kind of like vent a little bit. You know how when you shake a can of pop up, if you, you know, if you open it too quick, it's going to bust on you. So you sometimes you got to got to vent a little bit. So yeah. I think that's, it's good to just kind of talk a little bit before you explode. Because For if sure. you just keep on, if you just keep on going and ignoring it, that's when you kind of get the problem. I know you asked earlier, like, when should you go get help? The last thing you should do is ignore something going on. Your body can tell you at times what's going on. And I think you need to definitely trust that, that piece. That's what I learned in my therapy. Like trust this piece in you, this spirit, this, this middle area of your gut and, and kind of follow that. Yeah, man. I think that's real. I mean, you said a, a lot of things I vibe with, uh, cause actually my current therapist is a white lady. And so, it, and she just like, it works well. Like it, she just, she's learned how to connect with me in a cool way. And, uh, you know, I trust See? her. And so, you know, it's been, it's and been honestly, good. sometimes the, the difference is, is what makes you learn a little bit more about who you are. Right. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, and it's a learning experience for them. It, like therapy is just, a, it's an art. It's a work of art. I, I, I see it that way. And so um, also to that point too, this conversation came up a lot when I was in my master's program is it's not a lack of faith for someone in the church or a believer to seek therapy. Like you could still believe in Jesus and go get help therapy wise. Right. And yeah. I think it goes back to what you're saying. Maybe you, maybe there's Christians counselors. There's, there's certain places that you want to be more intent. You may want to be more intentional, right. With who you're connecting with as a, as a provider. But I, I definitely think it's, there's a time and a place for that as well. I agree, man. And mm -hmm. I think you're right when you say it. it's not a sign of weakness. Um, I, I see it as optimization, if anything, because it's like right. it shines a light on my blind spots, you know, things that I'm unable to see because I'm living in the moment. So I have to deal with my emotions, which is also why I like you know this podcast, because I'll have conversations with people and I'll listen back to them and be like, oh, man, I should have said that. I, you know, I should have asked mm -hmm. about this. And it helps me right, right. follow up, but it also helps me get better at conversation over time because I get right. to not be in it while I'm experiencing it. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know, it's always, I've always said it, and I've said this in, in, in sessions too, sometimes it's harder to see the picture when you're in the frame. Hey, yeah, hey, I like said, that. Can we get I some like stats that. on that hey, one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so sometimes, just to your point, it's good to get, and that, that goes back to the professional piece, to get someone who's outside of everything that you got going on and can look at a situation more rationally because they're not emotionally attached to it, right? They can probably help you brainstorm a little better how to work through um, maybe the situation that you're dealing with. Yeah, and they can, you know, ask you some questions that, you know, <laughs> might, mm -hmm. might be uh, a little bit weird coming from someone that you have a relationship with, you know? Because it's, it's those exactly. questions that'll, you know, open up your real patterns of thinking. And it's like, damn, okay, like, I know that they intend no malice towards me, so I can objectively think about this question, you know? And sometimes you need that in your life. Yeah, especially you if you're like, especially if you're um, in, a, in a, a marriage, maybe, or you're dealing with um, some trauma. Like, typically, you're thinking more emotionally, which isn't a bad, I think being emotional sometimes gets a bad rep. It's not a bad thing. That's what makes us human. Right. But, you know what I mean? But sometimes when it's pathological or it's getting in the way of you being successful or being effective in life, 
that's kind of when you kind of need to maybe seek some some help. Yeah, man, I, I, I see it. Emotions is like surfing, you know, like you're not you're not going to be able to control the waves, but you can let them smack into you or you can learn to surf them bad boys. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it's like, right. which one are you going to do? <laughs> you know, and there's an analogy I use all the time with that, too, is just like a lot of people need to understand, control what you can control and leave the rest up to whatever your thoughts or belief is on things. Like, and I always say, if you know it's going to rain, you can't stop it from raining, but you can you can get an umbrella and prepare for it, right? And I think that's how you got to look at life. Like, do what you can. I think that's why a lot of stress comes on people. Is like, you're trying to control everything in life. That's not going to, like you said, sometimes you just got to ride the wave. You just got to ride the wave, bro. And shit, another quote, I mean, I fucking love quotes. Another quote I like is, uh, <laughs> right. every storm runs out of rain eventually. So it's like, you know, Boom. every storm that's ever existed, the biggest, craziest storm that you've ever seen went away at some point. So it's like, it's not going to be all bad forever, you know? Right, 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 right. And if it's that and bad, you won't be here to worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's nothing you can do about it anyway. So yeah. why you know why even stress it? And um, I think I know I, I see our time. So I, I think there was one more thing I wanted to share with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it's important. It's just maybe some of the stuff that I've learned from my experience in the room, right? And one thing I think maybe the biggest thing I could I could share is like parents, um. Yeah, how many kids do you have? To talk about that a little Dude, bit. Okay. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm speaking from experience now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I got it. <laughs> so I got we're we're and you know what? This is a good question because I'm a, a blended family, and typically that's growing a lot more. And it, for those who don't know what a blended family is, it means like both some of your children aren't from the same parents. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. that comes with its own dynamics too, as well. But I think you can use them for some of the things. It's just like everything in life. There's there's trade-offs, all right? And so we're, we've been married seven years, happily married. Hey, marriage is an investment, okay? Yep. It's an investment. It's a good thing. And so that then we have a, a newborn. Well, he's about 10 months now, Lazarus. We got Lazarus. And then we got, um, we got um, Isaac Israel. He's five, uh, turning five. And then we have Luke Samuel. And then our oldest, Lucas five, he's turned six uh, this year. And then we got Cameron, who's our oldest. And so he's in, um, six, I, well, they do it differently out here. I, I think he's in middle school, but it, typically I think he'd be in elementary from where I'm back from like fifth grade. Fifth okay. Grade. Yeah. So we're kind of, it, it's real. <laughs> you know, so I think, I think, <laughs> did you have any other questions on that? No, no, no. I just wanted to, you know, make sure yeah. that people knew. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's so important. Like you're not going to get it right all the time. And one thing I've learned, like, do not micromanage your kids, but also don't just be so loose and let them do whatever. You have to make sure that you're talking to them and, and allow, that's one thing I learned from therapies, allow space, check in with them. They have a mind, they have a thought, allow space for them to share their thought. They're opinionated too. Like give them space to be able and build that, that, that ego strength for them as well. Instead of just, you know, marking them off, and, and not preparing them. And this is something I, I see a lot within our communities, like not preparing them to launch. Like you have to start working with them, getting ready for a career, what they want to make out of life, what they want to make out of self early on, not when they're 17, right before, you know, you're, right. you're turning 18 a year and you're getting out of here, but you haven't prepared them for anything. So I think that's very, that's one thing I think I saw a lot of, it's just a lot of kids who have a lot of hurt or maybe trauma in them because they, 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 um, you know, they feel disregarded or they feel like they're not heard. And so I think that's very, very important. And also, um, I ha I've had training in, and this, this goes with the parent piece. I've had training in um, C, uh, CSAC, and that's just youth. Now, I've learned a lot from this, too. And I, this is why I just wanted to share it with the community. Yeah. Youth that have sexually offended other youth. Okay. That that's that's some deep work there. And one thing I've learned is wherever you're coming from, parent. One thing I've uh, a common denominator is most of the youth that I talk to about when they've sexually offended someone else's, they never talk to their parents or maybe you know a respected older person. I I would keep it to your parents. That's be my opinion about that topic of just sex, sexuality, romance, all those type of things. And I think what happens is when you don't do that, you leave them open to other kids 
or, you know, maybe pornographic material or anything to teach them, you know, and and they never really had to talk of boundaries, right? Or what is true consent? And I think they get themselves in trouble. So that's whether you're a parent now or you're headed that way, I think you definitely need to make sure that you're talking to your, your children about the area of just sexuality. And then you should definitely make sure that you allow them to have space and come and talk to you. Cause I think that's, that's what happened that usually you feel like you can't talk to your parents. So you go and, and talk to someone else who probably doesn't have your best interest in mind, you know? Nah, man. Cause everyone can only speak from, you know, their experience. You never know what they were doing. That, so, I mean, that's people, people have such different sex lives. Like, so you, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's exactly. drastically different. Exactly. Whatever oh. talks about it. And with that, and this is the scary piece about it. Typically a lot of the sexual offenses would happen with family members or someone that, that the uh, family knows. So I think that's just a, a word of caution to parents and individuals is make sure you're talking to your children about good touch, bad touch, you know, who's supposed to be doing what and, and not supposed to do at an early age. As soon as they can start talking, I think it's, you can keep your age appropriate, but make sure you're talking about that because that happens a lot more than people think. Yeah, man. And it's, it's very scary. And I know it's kind of like dark with that talk, but I think it's very, very important for parents to talk about that to protect kind of the youth in their minds, dude. We got to shine a light on things like that in society, I think, man. I think it mm-hmm. starts with conversations like this because yeah. uh, I, I noticed, like, even when you brought it up, there's, like, this tightness in my chest. It's like, oh, right? you know, like, yeah. Right? You and know. so it's, yeah, so it's tough to even talk about. Cause, and I can't imagine, you know, victims and, like, their trauma and, like, trying to understand it. And I, I don't know, man. It's it, Being a human it's fucking hard, dog. It's fucking hard. It's not an easy task out here. It's not. And you know what? And that's where, I think that's what it boils down to, man. I know you was talking about like maybe what what is something to say for the world to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you had the ears, eyes, and attention of everyone in the world, what message would you drop on the people, Mark Nathaniel Skelton? Hey, of course, (laughs) bro, I'm going to say God's good, bro. I'm I'm, I'm rocking my team, dude. Jesus has been really good to me. But I would say love. At the end of the day, wherever you're coming from, that was the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor, man. All right? Stop being so hard on yourself, first of all. I think that's one thing I'm at is it, it was love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think sometimes we're so hard on everybody else. Because we're hard on ourselves. You see what I'm saying? And so I think the biggest thing that we can do, because this country right now, bro, is so super divided over everything. The dumbest things. Like, some of them are really dumb, you know? Some yeah, of them like, are like children's books. You like, know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, you, you wearing blue and I'm wearing red. Like, just yeah. simple stuff. And it's just like, I think if we would get more to the relational piece, that's one thing about the relational. Like, you know, typically you don't, if someone's a, a certain lived a certain lifestyle or did a certain thing, I think you may be more quick to judge them. But if that was like your brother or your sister or somebody like or your child, you probably wouldn't be that harsh on them. And and that that's my point is like, look at people like, you know, it's the human family. We need to stop being so hard on everybody. I think that's the biggest thing I would tell. It's like, we need to start showing some love. I don't care if you do have a different lifestyle. I don't care if you do do things differently. Maybe we could learn from each other. Like, I feel like we all got a piece of this puzzle and let's bring it together. Like, why can't we, why can't we agree to disagree? Bro, show me, show me a man who hasn't made a mistake and I'll show you a man who hasn't lived. You know what I mean? That's where I'm at. (laughs) That's where I'm at. So I think that's the biggest thing I would have. I don't know if, Whoever's listening, like, man, make sure you're showing some love because we're we're quick. We're so quick to 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 hop on somebody for doing so wrong or doing something. Like, why can't you be that way towards showing some grace a little bit? I think we need a little show a little bit more grace because that's one thing. And I know it, it may be controversial, but one thing I learned with working with uh youth that's offended sexually is that they're people too. You know what I mean? They're yeah. not monsters. Honestly, when you go through their history, most of the time that happened to them. From someone, imagine yeah. how messed up that would be. It's a perpetual, it's a perpetual thing. That's and then what I'm they're, they're probably wondering why the fuck am I even wanting to do this? Like, dude, yeah, it's exactly, gnarly. exactly like how you know when you know think about that mindset of this is someone I trust. Typically, if it's a parent or someone, this is someone that that's supposed to trust and protect me, but they did this to me. I got this ambivalence in my mind. 
how do I manage that? And no, of course, when we talked about earlier, it's not an excuse to keep it going. That's where this help, that's why we need to get help. But I, I think, I think once the, once again, if you start seeing people for who they are and trying to be patient enough to learn who they are and how they've come to work, like, bro, my experiences, like if you lived in my shoes and my experiences, maybe you would arrive to the way I think too. And the same with you. Like if I grew up just like you, I would probably be thinking the same way you do. So I think if we kind of keep that in mind, we can uh, be a little more patient and kind of sit, we need to sit at the round table more so than like, you know, across from each other. I think you're right, man. Cause like, (laughs) I always think about like these comments that you'll see people like post online. And I'm like, yo, Mm -hmm. imagine if that was like your parent up there, you know what I mean? And like, like you'll see, like maybe they have like a plus size model and people like, Oh, like, you know, they got this fat person on there. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, this person, yeah, that, you know, like is just out here, like living their life. They didn't do anything to you. Like they just <laughs> exist. You know what I mean? And why, why you gotta be yeah, like that? Yeah. That's where I'm at. That's where, yeah. where, it's just so where's crazy. the humanity? Keep the humanity in it. That's yeah. the thing I want to keep the humanity in it. Be like, damn, I see you out here, you know, confident <laughs> in your skin. You know, I, I see right. you doing your thing. Like, why can't it be positive? Right. And it's, or, or right. not say anything. Like, you know what I mean? Or right, like, right. Hey, yeah. if you can't say something nice, I thought we learned that in the first grade. Don't bro, say that, that That's all. one of the originals. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the originals, I, bro. I think you, like, have that one downloaded in your brain when you come right. out, man. You know? Like, <laughs> right. That's a preloaded game in there. I'm right. We all know it, but we don't know where we learned it from. Yeah. That's what, exactly, man. That's hilarious. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at, bro. That's exactly where I'm at. Yeah, bro. So, I, I just wish, I wish it happens, man. I wish, uh, people would be nicer to each other because mm-hmm. I think this, this is a hard thing that we're all doing. And I think we all understand that at a deep level. And some people just lash out at each other instead of just being like, damn, yo, you feel the same way I do. Let me help make it easier for you. And, you know, it'll keep coming around. Right. You know what I mean? We could all keep making it a little bit easier for each other instead of right. just like getting mad at somebody on the Internet because they think differently. <laughs> That's where, that's, that's where, that's, yeah, that's super petty. Like, just because they think different, like, everybody's so scared and think people's thoughts are dangerous. I think we can learn more from each other than, like, you know, want to annihilate them just because they don't agree with you. Right. Like, I mean, like, even the worst of thoughts, it's like, even a racist person, it's like, damn, you want to kill all the purple people? Like, bro, tell me what happened. Like, why do you want to kill all of them? You know what I mean? What, what led you to this point? Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people, man. So that's why I'm, and I think that goes back to why I'm in this field, man. Like, we need help, man. There's a lot of people, I need help. We we all need help. Yeah. Like, you know, we all falling short. That's one of the sayings. And I think um, a lot of people, man, they, they kind of hold things. They think they can figure it out themselves. But that's why we're in a community. I think it's very important to build off each other. Like, bro, you got expertise that I don't have. That doesn't mean I'm weak and vice versa. I got maybe things that, you know, we, you know, bounce ideas off each other. So, so we're more just, powerful together. Boom. You, you know what I'm saying? So that's, I'm, that's, yeah, that's where I'm at. And I know, I know it's, it, it may be like a fairy tale to some people, but that's what I'm aspiring for. Like uh, this idea of just, but man, let's show, we need to show more love. And that, honestly, that's kind of one of the, and I've kind of talked to you about the little podcast that I'm working on now. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it. I want, I want you to, you know, tell people the name where they can find it. Oh everything. yeah. So, um, the skeleton report, the skeleton hey. report. Hey. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of got, I just got started. Um, I'm on anchor. So it kind of spreads out to everything. So I'll be at all the major platforms with is, is it Apple and pot Google, and Apple, Spotify? Google, Spotify. Yeah. I do that um, on Anchor as well on, on this podcast. Okay, okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, so basically, um, I'm talking about where we're at as a people and how I think, so actually, here goes the book. I'm doing a book review, basically, on uh, Dr. Akbar's book. This is a black psychologist, clinical psychologist. It's called Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery. And I'm doing a, a, a series on each little section that he talks about how a lot of the ways that we're acting now has its uh, origins and roots in slavery. It, it's it's pretty deep. It connects a lot of dots, like um, why we're community so divided, maybe why we don't have some too many leaders, why we don't um, look, uh, you know, take pride in work and our property. A lot of this, you know, some of the traumas we have, and also the, um, I guess a little spoiler, the one I'm doing um, this upcoming Monday is the, like the clown. Like for instance, it's so deep. Like why are we always the entertainer? 
You know what I mean? We, yeah. we, we're always entertaining and laughing, but sometimes we, we take pride in that, which like he, he talks about, that doesn't knock people's showmanship, showmanship on being a, a comedian, but it's like, we take pride in that while neglecting the scientists and the artists. It's like everything that we do has to be glorified and we got to be the funny guy in the group. And some of that stems from slavery because that was a way that we kept the master peased, right? And just kept him cool. Like when he, if you keep him laughing, he's not, he's not messing with you. So it's like, those are one of those things that he says he feels has been outlived and it's not too healthy. Now we all, now we're just all about being funny and not really getting our stuff together. So he connects a lot of different little dots like that of why our families look the way they do, why we have color discrimination. And so I'm just kind of walking through that as a way of giving back. It's like, I'm learning this information. I'm in a program. I think it'd be really good to bring it once again, People love the people, love what I'm learning, just trying to bring it together. So, hey, love you, bro. Hey, I love what you're doing. Bro, it's all love, bro. bro. So, I also just want to say, bro, thanks for um, allowing me to to be on the show, man. I thought this was uh, good times. You know, we had good times in college, bro, and everybody's kind of older and maturing and kind of in their careers and doing their things. But I appreciate you, you know, allowing me uh, on the platform to just kind of share my experience. Of course, man. This is dope. Uh, like you said, we've had some great times, man. I've always enjoyed talking to you and uh, I've always enjoyed you uh, wanting to give back of yourself. You know what I mean? And so I think it's cool that you're willing to share all the things that you're learning. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know. We'll have to do it again. Maybe maybe I'll bring you on the report, bro. And hey, can, hey, I'm down, same. man. Let me know. Okay. Whatever. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. Awesome.